second. All right, what's up, fam? How you guys doing? Um, I think we have four weeks left in the semester, so props to you all for making this far. Still being all upright and stuff. Good job for you guys. What'd you say? There's still a chance to fail. There is still a chance to fail. Always remember that, kids. All right. Always remember that. There's still a chance that you will fail. All right. Anyways, um, I am continuing to fill in for Lucas as he's on, what do they call it, paternity leave? Is that what it is? Sure. Sure? Okay. So uh, we're going through, the, we're going through the, a few Psalms. We went through Psalm 8 last week, and we're going through Psalm 38 today. And Psalm, these two Psalms are pretty different. The Psalm 8 talked a lot last week about what it is to be human, what it means in regards to the dignity we have as humans and the honor that is included in being human. Uh, This week, it's a bit different. This week is mostly and more about what it means to be human in the sense that we're fallen, in the sense that we're broken in certain ways. And this psalm is is pretty intense. It's a a pretty intense psalm as we read through it. You'll notice that. But the Bible is very, very upfront about sadness and sin and how severe it can be. And so just, just keep that in mind as we read through this, all right? So uh, you can go ahead, if you have a Bible, you can open it up and we'll read from there. Otherwise, just follow along as I read through this, all right? Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear. And whose mouth, in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. My salvation pretty intense. 
Would you guys pray with me real quick? Father, um, we thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you for passages of the Bible like this um, that remind us of something that we often overlook. Spirit, would you be present with us tonight? Would you move inside of us as we read through this passage? Thank you for who you are and your kindness in sending Jesus for us. We pray this all in his name. Amen. So as many of you have noticed, I'm wearing these cool new, this cool new boot. It, I like to call it the new Birkenstock. It's kind of like, you know, it's got the Velcro, like the kids in middle school that you would maybe make fun of. But, so I've only been made fun of a few times over the last couple days. But anyway, long story short, um, over winter break, I was walking around a lot. I was in England, and there was a sharp pain in my foot that I was kind of like, all right, this is really annoying. There's a lot of sights to see. I want to go see these sights. So I continued to walk on my foot, kept going with it, and I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to ignore it. I'll deal with it later, all right? End up coming back to Connecticut, you know, doing my thing for this month, two months, whatever, and going, going to the gym, walking around, doing my thing. This last Sunday, intramural game, go up for a catch, catch it, land on my foot, hear this loud, pop, fall to the ground, writhing in pain. I get a leg trainer, takes me to the sideline, He's like, I think you'll be okay. And so like, I take off my foot, or take off my shoe, not my foot. That would have been a lot worse. That would have been way worse. Take off my shoe and see that there's this massive, huge like, bump on the side of my foot that looks like the bone is sticking out. It's not actually the bone. It was just like some kind of fluid inside my foot. Anyway, so I, I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is fine. This is fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I can t- over and over, I'm like, I was talking to Hannah, I was like, Hannah, I just don't, I just want to think about my, like, health insurance right now, I'm fine, I'm totally cool, so, like, take a picture of it, send it to my sister, who's a PA, and I was like, this is fine, right, I'm fine, athletic trainer said I'm fine, right, she's like, she's like, no, Jeb, go to the ER right now, get it x-rayed, you need to get this checked out, so I go to get it checked out, and sure enough, the muscle had ripped in my foot, and they gave me this cool new boot to wear so that it can actually heal, The whole reason I tell you this story is basically to say we all are trying to ignore these certain things that are conflicting us in our life. All of us don't want to admit that there's something wrong. We try to avoid it often, okay? And sometimes for us to heal, sometimes for things to heal, like my foot, uh, they need to be broken so they can actually be healed. So there's, there's three different things that the psalm is telling us about the human condition, namely sin, all right? There's three things that the psalm is teaching us about the human condition. First, it's showing us the symptoms of sin. Second, it's showing us the sickness or the severity of sin. And third, it's talking to us about the solution to sin. Okay? So whether you are a Christian in this room, whether you do not affiliate with Christianity or you affiliate with another religion, the last thing we want to admit to ourselves is that there is something severely wrong with us. That's one of the last things we wanted to admit about to ourselves we're all trained in the art of self-deception, of, of telling ourselves, like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Jenny, am I, am I okay? Am I okay? I'm fine, right? No, good at the ER. Anyway, so whether it's a physical disease or a spiritual one, we're all trying to convince ourselves that we're fine, that we're good enough to some kind of standard, okay? We all do these sorts of things to, to admit that we're not okay. We do lots of things to avoid it. You know, for example... You know, we kind of, we do this thing where we talk to people and we're like, well, I'm not as bad. I don't murder or rape people. I'm not that bad. Or like if you're at UConn, you're like, I'm not the mac and cheese kid. Like, I didn't do that. Like, you know, we do this, we do this thing. We, we compare. 
Sometimes we numb ourselves to our conditions. Sometimes we just fill our mind with lots of Netflix and smartphone usage and all these things to kind of appease our guilt. Sometimes we lower our standards. Sometimes we kind of just say, like, well, no one's perfect. Neither am I. It's okay. No big deal. But we mention this word sin a lot here in RUF, and we do for a good reason. But I wonder how many of us are actually really understand what's at the heart of sin and what this word sin even is. But the reality, the reality of sin is that it's, it's much more than just breaking the rules. It's not less than breaking the rules, but it's much more. You know, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, Adam and Eve, they, they broke the rules in eating of the forbidden fruit that God had told them not to eat. But even more fundamental to that was, this, was the sense that their, their relationship with God was distorted. They wanted to be God. They attempted to, to take over as God. They put themselves in the place of God and so took away his rules. They made their own rules. And in result, they were cast out of the garden and they were cast out of God's presence. And often we do the same thing in attempting to be like God. We've all attempted to put ourselves in the place and the position of God. And, and often we think of this as something like the crazy things that we might do, like getting hammered drunk or sleeping around a ton or something like that, which is in a sense true. Yes, it's breaking of God's rules. But we also have to think about it too, that we often try to take the position of God by controlling him and by saying, I have done all of these good things for you, God, you deserve, you, I deserve for you to give me something. Often we try to take the position of God by, by basically controlling him. And by doing, like, even our good things are sometimes improperly motivated. We're all infected with a disease. Sin is a disease. It's, it is not just the breaking of rules, but it's something more fundamental. It's putting ourselves in the position of God, and it's a disease. It's present within each of us no matter who you are. This psalm that we just read is a penitential lament. Uh, But as we see at the beginning of this psalm, David, who wrote this, has been struck by something outside of himself. He's distressed because of things that are going on both within himself and things that are going on outside of himself. And if it were not for some kind of intervention in David's life, he may not have seen the sickness that was within himself. Before David can even admit that he, his sin, he has to be made aware of it. He has to be made aware of this disease. God had to press down upon David so that he could see that he was infected with something serious. I want to clarify as we get into this psalm, though, that not all things that happen to you, all trauma or suffering, is a result of personal sin. That's just not the case. You can look at the person of Jesus or the person of Job in the Bible, and you can know that it's not always the case that when bad things happen to you, it's because of some personal moral failure. It's not always the case. All right? But in this psalm, David is saying that there's things that are happening to him because of some personal sin. And David, David is clear right off the bat, all right? He's clear that God's discipline on his life is not something to despise. David is aware and he asks God not to rebuke him in anger or discipline him in wrath. There's a huge, huge difference between being disciplined by someone and being destroyed by someone. And David recognizes that. He knows that without God's discipline, he'll continue in this lie that I'm okay. I'm fine. You're fine. I'm fine. 
you know, he, he, he knows that without this discipline, he won't see the disease inside of himself that is slowly eating away at him. Sometimes we're blind to the consequences of our own sin and we need awakened, however agonizing that may be. And sometimes that means the loss of control. Sometimes that means we're out of control. You know, I'm, I am a control freak. If you, if you get to know me intimately, you will begin to realize this about me. It's my biggest fear. I was talking with Joe about it earlier, actually, that I have, like, these nightmares, like, every other week about missing a flight, like, driving to the airport, being like, my flight's in 30 minutes, or, like, or having, like, walking into a classroom and them handing out tests for, like, a midterm and being like, I didn't know there was a midterm today. <laughs> like, I have this huge fear of losing control. I hate feeling like I can't resolve something that's going on in my life. Maybe that's a fear of yours, too. You know, even after I hurt my foot, I didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of what actually has happened to my foot. I felt out of control. I was like, okay, is my health insurance going to cover this? Like, am I going to be able to get to the hospital? Like, I don't want to have to think about not walking on my foot for a couple months or weeks or however long. I just didn't want to deal with the consequences of that. You know, the temptation for us is to think that we can cure this disease on our own. And we think that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just slap a Band-Aid on it. Or I'll slap some Icy Hot on it and just hopefully get over it. We all want control. And David in this psalm is absolutely, wildly out of control. He is sick with the disease and with guilt. His friends have utterly abandoned him. God seems very far away from him. And his enemies are ready to pounce on him. He can't fix himself, and neither can we. So why would God awaken us to this disease? Why would he subject us to things like what David is dealing with if we have no power to treat this disease on our own? And why do these things even happen to begin with? Sometimes all we can really do is wait. And if you're like me, waiting is absolutely miserable. And it's just what David is subjected to in the psalm. He's forced to wait. And in the waiting, he's dealt blow after blow after blow. The remedy for David was not immediate. The resolution was not immediate. As much as we want a resolution immediately, the resolution was not immediate. And before David comes anywhere near a resolution to his pain and his guilt inside of himself... He is forced to see the severe consequences of his sickness. He's forced to see what his sin is doing. He's forced to see the sin in the world as well. It's one thing to be told of your disease. It's one thing to be told you're sick. It's wholly another thing to experience this disease firsthand, to see the consequences of it in your life. And David is someone who is being shown the side effects to his sin. So the second point that this, the psalm is wanting us to see about the human condition is just why sin is so severe and why it is a sickness. You know, all of us, all of us, I don't care who you are, have felt the effects of sin in your life. No one escapes it. No one escapes this disease. We have all felt the weight of our own sins, but we've also felt the weight of other sins upon us and inflicted upon us. We are all both simultaneously victims and villains. We are both victims and villains. 
It has affected everything around us and within us. It's affected our families, our government, our campus, our friendships, our minds, our hearts, our bodies. It's infected everything. And like I mentioned earlier, it plays out not only in the bad things that we do, but also in the reason that we do good things sometimes. We can sin by obeying all of God's rules so that we can use God for our own ends. Either way, sin is inescapable. And sin is the ultimate sickness because ultimately it separates us from God. Sin cannot exist in God's presence. Just like darkness cannot exist in light. And the problem is we are infected with sin. And on our own, we cannot exist rightly in God's presence. We were intended for wholeness and flourishing. If you are here last week, we were intended for wholeness and flourishing. The Hebrew prophets called this shalom. All right? And the writer, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., once said, sin is a vandalization of shalom. It's a, it's a vandalization of the wholeness that we were intended for. It's a corruption of the way things were supposed to be. And this psalm shows how sin is played out. It shows the sickness of sin at play. So whether it was by the literal sickness that David had or by the sickness of sin in his life, David's friends had abandoned him. David was left alone to himself. How many of you have felt the effects of a friend rejecting you or betraying you or even just leaving you alone? Sin has brought chaos into our relationships with others. All of us have hurt those around us and have been hurt by those around us. After sin entered the world, immediately Adam and Eve, their relationship was distorted. They began blaming each other for their own sins. The way that relationships were intended to be has been corrupted. And this plays out in numerous ways. Sometimes we think like this chaos just plays out in like direct attacks on someone else. But sometimes this plays out like in us just avoiding people. Like needing to seek reconciliation with someone, but pretty much saying, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to enter into the awkwardness of that. So I'd rather just avoid it. You know, and sin hasn't just affected our friendships either. It's affected our families. It's, it's affected our homes. Uh, I know most of you, a lot of you, and including you know, everyone in a sense has come from a home that's broken. Homes that are not the way they were intended to be. You know, some of us have come from homes in which there's not two parents in it. Some of us come from homes with emotionally absent parents. Some of us come from homes in which parents are very demanding and have huge, unreasonable expectations on you. All of us have felt the effects of sin played out in our homes. You know, the very best things in this life, like friends and family, are often the things in which sin has dealt the most damage. The things in which should help us feel more connected and more loved often make us feel the most isolated and the most miserable. Like David, he's experiencing some of this. 
And it's in this isolation that we feel the most exposed. It's, 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 one, thing, it's one thing when like, bad things happen to you and you have friends to kind of be like, can we talk about this? Can I like, this is what happened. I, can I can just console me or something? Like, can we get coffee and talk about this? It's a wholly other thing when bad things happen to you and you have no one to turn to. Or it's even worse when those very friends that you would go to for consolation are the ones who are attacking you. Maybe you've experienced that in some way. And this is what David is, this is, what David is experiencing. He's running out of things to turn to for comfort as he feels the full effects of sin playing out in himself and in the world around him. David cries that his heart is full of tumult and that his sides are filled with burning and that there is no soundness in his flesh. We said that sin is a disease. It's a vandalization of the word shalom, like we said. It's a vandalization of the world and of our relationships, but it's also a vandalization of our own sanity. It's a vandalization of our stability of heart. And by attempting to fill our lives with things besides God for ultimate satisfaction and comfort, we will always be left with this deep, nagging unrest inside of us. And especially as we're stripped of the things that we tend to turn to for comfort, we will begin to see this unease and this unrest playing out more and more. It will become more noticeable. And as David is subjected to all these distortions of sin within himself and in the world, he recognizes that the most damaging effect of sin is in his relationship with God, as we see at the end of this psalm in his final plea. This disease has severed our connection between God and ourselves. It's like a leper being cast out of a city. The leper can do nothing to return to the city on its own until he's healed. We are utterly helpless in restoring ourselves back to God. This disease has too much control over us. Sin's final, most horrific consequence is the separation that occurs between us and God. God created us for for us to be in intimacy and communion with him. And sin has separated us from God. As St. Augustine, he's an old church father, uh, he once wrote about being separated from God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O Lord. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You Whether that be our grades or your romantic partner's or status, or even feelings morally superior to others, those things that you turn to for comfort and meaning are not enough. There will still be that deep, nagging unrest within you. And sometimes God lets us experience this deep unrest and dissatisfaction to make us aware of the disease, to make us aware that the sin is within us. Sometimes God lets us see the seriousness of our sins and and in the, sin, in the sin in the world to help us see our need for a more permanent solution. Sometimes he lets us experience this unrest to help us and to remind us that we need a more permanent solution. This is the last thing that the psalm talks about is the solution to sin. Now, as mentioned earlier, David does not, David does not ask to not be disciplined by God. He recognizes that he needs it. He recognizes that Disciplined by God is a mercy. 
You know, the book of Proverbs says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. God doesn't let us see our sickness because he just wants to make us miserable. God doesn't expose our sins to just be like, Look, you're awful. He does it because he cares for us. He's disciplining us. I don't know if you've ever known someone who's gotten frostbite. When you have frostbite, say in your hand or something, the ligaments, the nerves, the muscles begin to freeze and it's numbed. And often to recover from it, people, you know, there's a concoction of a warm liquid that's poured on it to rewarm it. But I've heard that it's one of the most agonizing and most painful experiences Often it's agonizing to come alive again. Often it is agonizing to come alive again. God disciplines us because he loves us. Have you guys ever heard this Christian cliche frame or phrase that basically says, God doesn't ever give you more than you can handle? Have you ever heard that? That's, if you've ever heard it, if you haven't, it's a total lie. That's, that's not true. This psalm is, I mean, completely contrary to that. You know, God often does give us more than we can handle. But he doesn't do it because he hates us. He doesn't do it because he wants to make us miserable. He does it because he loves us. And he wants us to see that we need to be cured of this disease. And that we can't be healed on our own. We need him to heal us. But for him to heal us, we, we must see the seriousness of our condition. And the great price it costs God to bring about the cure. In God's discipline, David was humbled. He saw his sin and iniquity. He was stripped of his health, even of his friends and family and his own stability. And his enemies were breathing down his neck. He had no more words to speak. And all he could do was wait for God to answer. This psalm ends in attention. It ends with a humble plea of a man laid bare before God. It ends with an isolated and sick man crying out with hope to God to not forsake him, to be near him, to come back to him. It ends with David still waiting for the solution to his sickness. He cries, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. For us to truly understand the solution of God for sin, we must come to grips with the seriousness of our disease. There's a reason that the main symbol for Christianity is a device of torture and death. On the cross lies our only hope. On it lies the only cure for our disease. It's the only thing in which we can be brought back to God in the condition that we're in. And we have a physician. We have a great physician who has come for the sick and the dying. And we're all sick and dying. The only difference is that some of us know it, some of us don't. And that same physician had to take our disease upon himself for us to be cured. Jesus upon the cross took the sins of the world and the sin in yourself, all the ways that you put God second, third, fourth, or last in your life, All these different ways that we've put God 
second or last or whatever else and put ourselves first, he's paid for that. All the ways that you've sought good grades before God or a good romantic relationship before God or a good friendship or uh, maybe it's a parent that you want to make proud, maybe a parent's acceptance before God, he's paid for that. Whatever it is, on the cross, Jesus took our disease of sin upon himself. And Jesus brings a whole new light to the psalm. Jesus brings a whole new light to the psalm. It's Jesus on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize that Jesus was forsaken for you so that you would never be forsaken by God? As David says this, Do not forsake me, O Lord. He's looking ahead to Jesus. Jesus was forsaken so that me and you and David would never be forsaken. And it's Jesus who took God's anger and God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. And it's Jesus who was deserted by his friends and was tortured and mocked by his enemies. It's Jesus who took that. Ultimately. On the cross, we see the weight of our sins. We see the seriousness of our sickness. But even more so, we see the love of the great physician. The only physician or doctor who cares so deeply for us and for our condition, he was willing to take that disease upon himself so that we could be brought back into fellowship with God, so that we could be healed of this disease. Jesus himself is the solution to the disease. Like David in the psalm, God brings us to the end of our rope so that we can be brought back to him. God brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can begin to see that our only hope is in Jesus and not in these worldly things that we often look to for ultimate comfort and ultimate meaning and ultimate satisfaction. So as we look at the end of the psalm and David's final plea, we can be reminded that because Jesus was forsaken, forsaken for us, Just because, because Jesus was forsaken by God, we will never be forsaken by God. Because Jesus, the Son of God, was forsaken by God, we would not be forsaken, and instead we would be healed. Jesus has brought the cure, and often, you know, we are, there is a sense in which Jesus has saved us and is still currently saving us. He's still making us right. And so, like David in this psalm, you know, if you're a Christian in this room, you're going to be struggling with sin. If you're struggling with sin, that means you're, you're alive, you're fighting. The Spirit is at work within you to fight. And David in the psalm is in some ways an expression of what it's like to live in that tension of living in a world of sin, but being a follower of Jesus, belonging to Jesus. This tension is interwoven into the psalm, and David sees the sin within himself, that he is guilty, but he also seeks after good, as it says. And he is ever hopeful and waits, knowing that God will answer him. This is a man who's hopeful and knows that God will eventually answer him. And he knows that his longings and his sighings are before God. He knows he's being heard because he is a child of God. And he's, he's, he's even recognized that as a child of God, you will be disciplined. But you're disciplined because God loves you and cares for you and wants you to grow and wants you to heal. 
So as Christians, we exist in this tension. We are people who have been saved by Jesus, but are still being made to look more like him. We aren't there yet, but we will be at the end of this life. Once we reach the life after this, we will be perfected in glorified bodies. But as, as, as a follower of Jesus, as someone who belongs to Jesus, you will be struggling against sin. The spirits at work within you to, to purge you, to mortify you, but to make you look, to, to heal you of this sickness and of this disease. And the implications of this, the implications of, of being Jesus, the one who's taken this, this disease upon himself means... You know, you can actually be honest about the sin within you. You can actually be honest and confess. You don't have to try to be a perfectionist. Like, you don't, have to, you don't have to be perfect anymore. You don't have to try to convince yourself that you are perfect. You can actually like, talk to people around you in community and friendships and talk about the things that you're struggling with. You can actually do that because Jesus was perfect for you. You know, and, and another implication of, of, of belonging to Jesus is that sometimes we'll be humbled time and time again so that we will be reminded of Jesus and be brought back to the cross to look at the cross and to know Jesus has paid the ultimate price. You will never be forsaken by God. You know, we will experience growth and change as, a, as, as, you, as you are in Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you will grow. But it's a tension. And you'll be reminded as you stumble and fall you'll be reminded to look back to the cross and see what the great physician has done for you and for the disease that was inside of you. Jesus is the ultimate cure. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you loved us enough to die for us. We love you and... We thank you that you were forsaken by God so that we would never be. Thank you for the fact that we are uh, children of the Father, that he loves us so much that he would discipline us so that we would grow and heal and look more like you. Spirit, be at work within us. Help us to be reminded of this good news. It is good news. We thank you for this. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.